The story of the Good Samaritan is so familiar that it may seem almost cliché. It has worked its way into our culture so much that even the unchurched will summon its principles to describe and determine a moral way of life. Yet often, to be a Good Samaritan is merely an occasion to define someone's extraordinary act of assistance. And our day-to-day lives don't demand any decisions or deeds. Despite its many retellings, however, this story is no less powerful and no less needed in such a time as this. What does it have to say in the wake of bombings in Istanbul and other places? In the attack of a mosque in College Station, Texas, and the shootings in Baton Rouge, the Twin Cities, and Dallas. Where is God? Where is the good news? Where is the justice? What is our challenge? How do we respond? Is be helpful when you happen to come across people in trouble really all that Jesus was talking about? In the text, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem when he got involved in a conversation with a lawyer from a village along the way. This teacher of the law was not one who goes to court in civil or criminal cases, but rather he was an expert in interpreting the Torah, the law of Moses. The lawyer pressed Jesus, maybe for clarification, maybe to trip him up, or maybe because he was curious. For whatever reason, Luke chose to record this particular question and answer exchange in this way. So in your view, the lawyer asked Jesus, just what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? The lawyer said, Jesus, what does it say in the law of Moses? The attorney knew the law, and he quoted it. The law says, love God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind, and also love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, said Jesus, there you have it. You're right. Love God fully and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do this and you will live. In the text, the question is about eternal life not the greatest commandment, as it is in Mark and Matthew. Who doesn't wonder what eternal life means? What it's like. Life with no end. Life with no death. For some people, eternal life means heaven, the jackpot at the end of the rainbow. But to hear Jesus talk about it, eternal life also means hitting the jackpot now. Eternal life means enjoying a depth and breadth and sweetness of life that is available right this minute, not only after we've breathed our last. So what must we do to experience it? That is the question put to Jesus by the lawyer. He wasn't going to let the question drop that easily, so he pushes for more. Be precise, Rabbi. Who exactly is my neighbor? The one who I am to love. 
Who counts? For just whom am I responsible? How much am I supposed to care? What are the rules? And just how much do I have to follow them to be guaranteed being right with God? It's not an improper question. The lawyer wants to talk about love and about how complicated it is to be open to everyone all the time. And can't Jesus make the directions a little easier to follow, like defining who our neighbor is? Exactly. But Jesus knows that the last thing on earth that the lawyer needs is a debate and more discussion. So he tells him a story instead of giving him a lecture. His story is not just a simple tale of a man in trouble, two people who passed by, one who helped. It's a parable. And parables always have something unexpected or shocking to be wrestled with or puzzled on. Over the years, we've called this parable the Good Samaritan. But the Samaritan is never called that in the text. So what makes him good? Were there bad Samaritans? Actually, at the time of Jesus, most, if not all, Samaritans were considered bad by the Jews. They represented the enemies. Both Jews and Samaritans claimed to worship the God of the ancient Hebrews, but each group had its own scriptures, its own temple, and its own religious practices. The Jewish community resented the assertion that the Samaritans were people of God, so the Samaritans became the other. So, Was the Samaritan good because he actually saw the guy in the ditch instead of overlooking him? That could be. Was the Samaritan good because he had compassion for him? Or was the Samaritan good because he bandaged his wounds, took him to an inn, took care of him, and paid to continue that care? Yes, to all of these things. And maybe one even more basic observation. What if the Samaritan were good because he simply made the choice to come near to the almost dead one in the ditch, to approach him, to decrease the distance between him and the man clearly in need of help? What if eternal life might also be known here and now and in this place in nearness and not remoteness? In proximity, not reserve. Deciding to be closer and not looking for ways to push away. We spend a lot of energy in our lives on intentional detachment, disengagement, and disenfranchisement. Sometimes these decisions are very much justified for safety, self-preservation, self-care, but other times... Our distance is decided by our determination not to get involved or to change. We resist intimacy. We reject those persons who might actually expose who we truly are. If the Levite and the priest had come near, 
they may have had to face some truths about themselves that I suspect they would rather not have admitted. And they would have spent a life, and that what they had spent a lifetime pretending, hoping, and ensuring didn't exist. Who is my neighbor? Means, according to Jesus, a commitment to coming near. Our neighbors aren't just the people living next door. Those with whom we don't have to speak if we don't want to. Those living in houses into which we may never be invited or into which we may, may never have to enter. Our neighbor is not one who happens to be convenient for us to help. Our neighbors are not those whom we can keep in their place, ones who meet the qualifications of our company. Our neighbors are those who, without a doubt, are experiencing pain, struggles, challenges, and sorrow, and yet to whom we must draw near. Our neighbor is someone who clearly has needs, and we decide to help, and who might even resist our assistance, but we should insist on helping anyway. This definition of neighbor shouldn't be a stretch for us. After all, God's decision to become human is just such an act. A commitment to closeness, a desire to close the distance, a need for nearness. In the end, the Good Samaritan comes near as one who knows the kingdom is near. And the kingdom of God comes near when we do the same. Jesus' question in the final verse forces the lawyer to admit which character demonstrates what it means to act in a neighborly way. The lawyer's refusal to utter the Samaritan as his answer underscores the parable's deep offense. The Samaritan is the exemplar. The lawyer is pushed to learn about genuine love from the deeds of one whom he regards as his enemy. To be committed to love of neighbor involves a willingness to see an enemy as a benefactor, one who can offer instruction about true compassion and righteousness. Notice that Jesus doesn't return to the lawyer's original question, who is my neighbor? In the end, to ask him to identify who in the parable he should consider to be his neighbor. Instead, Jesus asks the lawyer to name which person was a neighbor. And thus he reorients their conversation away from the lawyer's question, which limits one's responsibility. The lawyer wants to define who deserves his love. But Jesus' parable suggests that love seeks out neighbors to receive compassion and care, even when established boundaries or prejudices conspire against it. Love God, love neighbor, be a neighbor. Let's not complicate things by arguing about the specifics so much. We know what God's love looks like. And it isn't black men dying while millions watch live on Facebook or police officers begin 
being gunned down while protecting those who express their opinions. We know what love is because at some time or another, we have been on the receiving end of love. We know that black lives matter and that LGBT lives matter and that Asian lives and German lives and Muslim lives and all our lives matter. All lives matter to God, and God came near in Christ to teach us so. Yet knowing the right answers won't change things. If we want the world to look differently, we have to do a little or a lot, but some. Too often our thinking and analyzing confuse our knowing, understanding, feeling, thinking, or saying of love and the doing of love. These are all perfectly fine activities, but only one of them brings us life now and leads to eternal life, according to this story. Only one leads to the fullness of life that makes us believe that there is no end to life or to love. Our response to the events of this past week shouldn't be accusations of good or bad, black and white, us, them, either or. Instead, it's time to pray today and every day. It's time to prophesy, to inundate congressional representatives with phone calls, better than letters, I'm told, but do both, to act on gun violence prevention. It's time to advocate for change, for justice, to march if you can, or to financially support those who can if you can't. It's time to come together to change financial and social systems which oppress and put people in positions of being the other. It's time to adopt schools, to establish conversations and active support in underserved neighborhoods in our city, and to initiate dialogues for understanding with people of color. It's time to talk in our families and with our friends about racism, what it is and how it affects us in our relationships with people who may look different from us. Volunteer in TAP or in Bread for the City, Martha's Table, it's time to host discussions for our community with officers from the second district to talk openly about our fears and our hopes and dreams for our immediate neighborhood. It's time to talk to each other and to make an offering of what we promise to do. So, how can I do a sermon about neighbors if you don't talk? to each other. Please take a few moments and find someone near to you, preferably someone who didn't come to church with you, and find out their name. Find out something about them and find out how they feel about the events of this past week and what they plan to do or how they might help the church organize to do something. You'll know when the time has ended. We'll close with a prayer. Please share.
Lord be with you. Let us pray. Bless us and use us to show your mercy in our broken world, great God. Be near us and grant us all of your peace. Amen. One final word. In a sermon on the Good Samaritan, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, We cannot long survive being spiritually separated in a world that is geographically together. In the final analysis, I must not ignore the wounded one on life's Jericho Road because he is a part of me and I am a part of him. His agony diminishes me and his salvation enlarges me. Relationships, connections, and genuine community are the way forward, I believe, for all of us on this road of life. May we carry with us the story of the Samaritan as it routes us in the only direction that God desires, the way of love and mercy. May it be so.